Let me add my welcome to the one I hope you just received. Maybe we haven't had the chance to meet before. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace and just hope you feel really welcome at our church. Um, just a, we give a couple of announcements before we turn to the Word of God. First, I wanted to just mention, um, we, don't, we used to pass offering bags and the offering plate around, but now you know, so many people give online, we, just, we have our offering prayer, but I did want you to know that you can give online to our church, and if you still like to give uh, physically through a check or money, there's giving boxes in the back of... Uh, of the hall, so just know that that's available to you. There's a connect card that you can find on our website if you want to get in contact or want to learn how to get connected at the church or join a small group or find service opportunities. And so uh, the the website is really the best place to go uh, to get information about what's going on in the life of our church. I want to bring your attention to two things uh, coming up in the life of our community. The first is a small group interest barbecue, which is happening this Tuesday, July 18th. And so if you are interested in joining a small group, uh, you are invited to a barbecue to connect and learn more about our ministry, about the, the timeline and next steps. And so what you need to do is to go to gracepca.com and RSVP at the events tab that you'll find on that page. And you'll be able to sign up to, to land a spot at that barbecue. And then lastly, um, a women's ministry event happening Monday, July 24th. So women are gathering in small groups, pods, to listen and talk about uh, podcasts. And so you can choose one of three faith and work related podcasts, listen to it, and then you can come and discuss with a small group of women. So for more information about that event and to register for it, you can go again to the events tab at gracepca.com. All right, that's enough announcements. What I want to do now is I just want to take a moment. I want to pause, take a deep breath, gather my scattered senses as you gather yours so we can focus them on God's word. So let's take a moment and then I'll pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege and opportunity to again turn our attention to your word. Your word that brings life conviction, hope, purpose, your word which brings Christ to us. And so would you open our ears that we might listen? Would you strengthen our hearts to believe? Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, friends, we continue our summer series in Paul's letter to the Colossians. And so if you're familiar with your Bibles and you brought one, you can open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We'll be in chapter 2. Hey, listen, 10th message in the series, we're in chapter 2. 
We are cruising. Chapter 2, we'll be starting in verse 8 and reading through verse 10. The scripture text will also be up on the screen here. Friends, listen to God's word. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want you to think about two words. Ideological captivity. Are any of these experiences familiar to you? An uncle, let's call him Uncle Sticky. An uncle who tended to be peaceable at family dinners, somewhere around 2020 or 2021, started to post things on Facebook of an extreme nature about politics and religion. Now holidays are hard. That's scenario number one. Scenario number two. Talking, texting, or DMing with someone. And somewhere along the way, the person you're texting with includes catchphrases that you know they didn't make up. They begin talking about the woke elite, or MAGA extremists, or something like that. Catchphrases you know they didn't come up with themselves. And you think, they didn't use those before. They're just repeating phrases that you know they got from blogs or podcasts or the news shows or social media sites. You're worried. That's situation number two. Situation number three. Someone is expressing their opinion about something. And at some point, they just stop and say, I don't know how to explain this to you. You have to go and watch this documentary. You should go and listen to this podcast. And you're like, well, why do I have to listen to that podcast to know what you think? Can't you tell me what you think about what you think? Why do I have to watch a documentary to know what you think? Fourth situation. You still come to church but many of your friends don't. You walked with Christ together for years, but one pandemic and a number of cultural crises later, along with about 12 deconstructive podcasts, you're still friends with your friends, but they no longer follow Christ. They have a vague spirituality, and you still have camaraderie with them, but the intimacy that you used to share around word, sacrament, and prayer no longer exists. And it makes you sad. Fifth situation. 
you are just fighting to stay saved. You are a cognitive minority under constant pressure in our culture to assimilate. And you are always thinking to yourself, am I crazy to believe what I believe? To live how I live? Am I going to be on the wrong side of history? And every day is like a war for your soul. A fight to stay orthodox. To stay faithful to Jesus. To stay sane. At least to stay happy and at peace. A kind of inner tug of war that is emotionally exhausting and spiritually depleting. And it's tearing apart your soul's peace. Do any one of those situations sound familiar? It's where we live. It's called Babylon. (laughs) Ideological Babylon. Ideological captivity. To exist every day in a contested space of ideas. Where there is pressure from the right and the left, from inside and outside the church to compromise our faith, to dilute it, to give it up altogether. Ideas, ideologies, and philosophies that are out there and they want to take our lunch money and shipwreck our faith. The same was true in Colossae. And Paul has words of wisdom for them and for us to help us navigate our time in ideological captivity. He starts simply by saying, see to it that no one takes you captive. Now the word taken captive in the Greek is rare but vivid, and it simply means to plunder, to steal, like cargo from a ship. Taken captive is a pretty good translation. It's used in other writings even to designate kidnapping by slave traders. Don't be taken captive. But here, the threat isn't slave traders or human beings. It's a set of ideas, philosophies, or we might say in our day, ideologies. See to it that you're not taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. The word philosophy both in English and in Greek, literally means the love of wisdom. It means thinking about the great issues of life. What's ultimate reality? How can you know it? What's right and wrong? What is the good life? Wisdom. Philosophy. In and of itself, We might think and be inclined to say, who could find fault in philosophy? 
loving wisdom. And of course, we should love wisdom and pursue it with all of our might wherever it may be found. Paul himself engaged regularly in philosophizing in and outside of his faith tradition. And we know from Paul's letters that he was deeply conversant in secular entertainment and the poets of his day and the philosophy of his world. And so he's certainly not saying don't don't philosophize, don't listen to that stuff. He qualifies his statement with two words, philosophy that is empty and deceitful. The NIV has it right when it says, let no one take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, empty and deceitful philosophy. Don't be taken captive, stolen away by philosophy that in the end adds up only to empty deceit. Empty deceit. That's a vivid image in and of itself. That these philosophies pretend to offer a fullness, but in fact they're empty. They pretend to be full of what would make up the good life. What would bring us lasting satisfaction. What would bring us final, eternal happiness? But none of it is real. In the end, it proves out to be empty. It leaves us miserable in the end. It's the lie that we believe that if we buy that thing or get that house, then we'll be happy. Or if we get that person elected, or enough so-and-sos on the Supreme Court, then, finally, we'll have a society worth living in. Or if I get to sleep with so-and-so and do this and that with my body, finally, I'll feel whole and free, safe, secure. Empty deceit. In researching the sermon, I came across a description of an ancient Roman philosopher. It's a description made by a professor at the University of Virginia. And when I listened to this definition of the traveling philosopher in the ancient world, I couldn't help but think of today's social media influencer. This is what the professor says. Philosophers in those days became hucksters, salesmen, salesmen marketing ideas and beliefs of their respective schools. They offered advice on how to live one's life and deal with personal problems appealing less to reason and logic than to emotion and feeling. The appeal of the philosopher had less to do with the teaching of his school and more to do with how the philosopher dressed, what success he could promise his adherents, and which philosophy was fashionable and highly regarded in influential circles. Are you thinking of social media, YouTube, 
Instagram, politicians, the influencers, some things never change. The world is filled with philosophers, so-called pseudo-experts, that are just leading us where we, where they want us to go. They offer you wisdom, but what they want is your vote. What they want is your money. What they want is your devotion. What they want is your mind. And where it leads is always pretty empty and hollow. Empty deceit. Paul uses two other phrases that he uses to further dismiss and highlight the danger and error of these philosophies. He says that they are according to human tradition. And this, I take, is another dismissive shrug. They are not divine in any way. They come from the earth. They're made from man. How different such traditions are from what you have received, he said. You have received Jesus Christ, who is the fullness of divinity. The final insult Paul throws, if I'm hearing him right, is that such teachings are according to the elemental spirits of this world. Now I'll tell you, in reading lots of commentaries, that phrase is a little difficult to pin down. And it has been the subject of much scholarly debate. It means either one of two things. Um, Either he's dismissing these philosophies as elementary, materialistic, again, bound up in this world alone, having nothing to do with higher things. Or many scholars believe that Paul is talking about the way that human ideologies and traditions can be utilized and co-opted by evil and demonic forces to further devastate, divide, and ultimately destroy human beings. The devil, in other words, traffics in words, deceptive ideology, masquerading as truth. Whatever the case, it ain't good. And the problem with these philosophies is that they are not according to Christ. And where these philosophies are seen as earthy and empty, the things of Christ are seen as divine and full. Listen to how emptiness is contrasted with fullness. For in him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Earlier in the chapter, he says that Christ is God's mystery in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Earthly philosophies, empty Earthy, philosophies according to Christ, divine and full. The crucial thing that Paul says is that these things are not according to Christ. I'm not a great musician, 
but I play a little bit. And the word according there, the etymology of that word, it's a musical word. It actually is about harmony. It's about placing one note next to another and hearing either resonance or dissonance. It's almost like Paul is saying then, set up the ideas that you're hearing from the world and accord them with Christ. Is there dissonance? Or is there harmony? There will be many philosophies and ideas that come through, through that will harmonize with Christ, that will actually help us understand our faith and be complementary to it, but there's so much that will be discordant. How do we know what accords with Christ? Well, does what you're listening to help you harmonize your life with Christ's heart and character? After listening to it and imbibing it, does it make you feel wiser, safer, more at peace? Or is it just angry clickbait there to prey on your fear? Does it harmonize with Christ's heart? Does it harmonize with Christ's work? With what he's accomplished for you? Or does it make you feel guilt and shame and hopelessness? Does what you're listening to align in accord with his words? Harmonize with his ethic and his kingdom? The problem with the Colossian church was with a set of philosophies and teachings that didn't line up with the finished work of Christ. Now, that word captive that he uses earlier in the phrase, there's a number of words that he could have used, but he uses a really rare word that actually sounds almost exactly like the Greek word for synagogue. So the word captive sounds a lot like the word synagogue. And most scholars believe that what Paul's trying to do is he's, there's a little intentional pun there. And we're reminded that the unique temptation and false teaching that was facing the Colossians wasn't to give up their faith, but to add to it. People were saying that if you really want to know God or to be mature, you have to add things like circumcision or the other cultural trappings of Judaism if you want to be fully mature in Jesus. And what Paul is saying is don't be synagogued. Don't go back to the synagogue. Don't be trapped by re-synagoguing your mind. He's saying that's not the proclamation of Christ. That's not what you've been hearing from me in, in this letter. That's not the gospel that you heard from your pastor, Epaphras. The Christ in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. On whom the existence And reconciliation of all things depends. He is the measure of every philosophy. By that measure, any human ideas about life and the world that fail to grasp the significance of Christ, particularly his death on the cross and his resurrection, are empty deceits. No matter how venerable their human origins or how persuasive the speech in which they're presented. So 
So how can I sum this up before we apply it to our lives? First, we need to know what Paul isn't saying. And Paul is not saying don't engage with the world. He's not saying don't understand even false teaching or read it. He's not saying don't read things that challenge you or challenge your faith. He wouldn't understand that. It's not saying create an intellectual ghetto around the church. What Paul is saying is don't be taken captive. Don't be deceived. That is the danger. Paul wants us to live graciously in a world without being taken captive by it. But this is certainly a call to discernment. Think about all of the content that you receive, what you read, what you see, what you listen to. The Barna Group reported that the average millennial, and this, this statistic is two years old, consumes over 3,000 hours of digital content a year. And only a hundred of which is Christian. That is to say that there is a 20 to 1 ratio. And that's key. Because we realize we become what we contemplate. We become what we give our attention to. And if your ratio of religious to secular ideas, of that of these philosophies to Jesus' truth is 20 to 1, that's going to have an effect on your faith full stop. As a pastor, I'm just amazed at how I sometimes and folks around me mindlessly receive the stuff on our phones without consulting scripture or tradition or ever consulting someone older than us who has walked with Jesus and been in the world longer? Have you ever just sat down with like a wise old saint and asked them, do you think this lines up with scripture? Is this biblical? Is this full of the spirit? He who walks with the wise becomes wise. To be able to discern empty and deceitful philosophies, it's going to take community, the scriptures, and a life of prayer. This has been convicting to me because I'm realizing how often do I listen to a podcast or read a book or an article and I don't pray about it. And so I've just begun to change my practice to listen, to read, to have the conversation, and then to immediately ask, Lord, what is of you? Is this podcast of you? This message? Does this accord with Christ? Or am I working really hard to get Christ to harmonize with the melody that I want to hear? Because while the ideologies of our day are new, the temptation to mix the way of Jesus 
with other things is alive and well. The age-old temptation of the people of God is not so much to heresy as it is to syncretism and idolatry. In other words, it's not to let go of God, but it's, it's to say God plus this or that. And it's very subtle. The temptation for most of us is to syncretism. A mix, to have a mixture of Jesus and, you know, to bundle religion like we bundle our cable packages or streaming services. Yeah, I want a little Paramount Plus, a little bit of Disney, a little bit of HBO, and we do that with Jesus. I want a little bit of Jesus with a little bit of contemplative action, small bit of progressive sex ethics, little bit of consumerism because I don't want to give up my stuff, and let's throw on a little bit of mindfulness just for safety's sake. That is the great temptation. It is the modern fast food buffet approach to spirituality. And it is to spirituality what McDonald's is to culinary excellence. I look at our culture filled with jaded former Christians and ex-evangelicals. And they're at the buffet line filling up their plastic trays with fried Buddhist hors d'oeuvres and downing Hindu sample cups and bite-sized New Age nuggets with a side of Jesus fries. Because we skimmed an article or heard a podcast. We started a book, but we didn't finish it. But the beginning sounded really convincing. And now we're piling on the toppings of our political ideology Sunday. Because you know, politics are a hardy religion indeed. Here's the thing though. None of it really fits together. And none of it really satisfies the deep questions of the soul. It tastes good for a moment, but it leaves leaves you feeling aching later on. It's just empty. And that's not just happening outside the church. That kind of outlook on religion is eking its way into the church. And it's not necessarily obviously or directly anti-Christian as much as it's a deep deviation from the central Christian truth that Jesus is Lord and he is the melody and everything else is the harmony. And that kind of thinking leads not only to a, a hollow and empty faith, but it leads to a faith that isn't worth following. So in an article about the, like the sad irony about the fall of celebrity pastors, a man named Ben Sexsmith writes about how everyone wants their ideologies with a twist of Christianity. And he talks about celebrity church culture. And he says, You can go to these churches and there is, quote, mainstream culture, celebrities, fashion, rock music, modish political activism, a message of self-love, but with a twist of Christianity. 
He goes on to say, most people just stick with mainstream culture because you can have all those things and premarital sex, which I thought was funny. But that twist of Christianity trend, there's a conservative version of that. And Ben Sexsmith talks about Jerry Falwell, a representative of the right wing, the business-oriented evangelicals who offer, quote, capitalistic self-enrichment and hubristic jingoism with a twist of Christianity. And then there are progressive Christians who promote the usual left-wing causes, but with a twist of Christianity. He goes on to say that while different in beliefs, people, such people share patterns of thought. He says the former believe secular individualists mysteriously share God's wishes about what should be done with money, and the latter think that secular progressives mysteriously share God's wishes for what should be done with bodies. So if Christian, this is where you listen, if Christianity is such an inessential add-on, why become a Christian? And then he brings it home. I am not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should or should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing particularly inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. But what about a church that wanted to become like Christ? That wanted to accord and harmonize everything in their lives, not to a watered-down version of a conservative or progressive vision of life with a twist of Christianity, but one that deeply accorded with the person and work of Christ, the word of Christ, the hope of Christ, the love of Christ, the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Christianity has freedom in its message. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Free from guilt. Free from shame. Free from market pressures. Free from the herd. Free from ideological captivity. Only in Christ can we discover all the knowledge and truth of God ourselves and the world around us. But we tend to reverse the formula in the, the modern world. We are worried that the teachings of Christ have not aged well. And so we hold them up to the teachings of our current culture to see if they work. What will it mean for us if we allow Jesus to define truth? Would that mean that we get canceled, shunned, that we would lose face with our tribe, conservative, or progressive? Maybe. But I can tell you what won't be present in our lives if we don't try. And that is the kingdom of God. There is a war waging, not just out there on Twitter and the internet, but it's raging in our hearts. 
And it's not between the left and the right, it's between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness in which there is a red version and a blue version. Listen to that. It is not between the left and the right. It is between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness in which there is a red version and a blue version. It's not to say that politics are evil. They are necessary, but when they become ultimate, it gets ugly fast. The stakes are high. And Paul wants the church at Colossae fortified against the inevitable pressures of false teaching. And so he reminds them of the truth. He says, Here there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love which binds them together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, taking every thought captive in obedience to Him, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, would you help us put on Christ? Would you keep us from hollow and empty ideologies, worldviews and ideas that are out there to take our lunch money? Would you help us discern the voices We need to listen to less. Would you help us become people of discernment as it relates to what we listen to and who we trust? And would your kingdom, your word, your life, and your heart be the melody in our lives to which everything else must harmonize? And as we together try to press through as a community to keep you central and to keep the faith with the kingdom of God be made present among us. We give you praise and thanks. In Christ's name, amen.